بسم الله الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى عليه وصحبه أجمعين الحمد لله the praise is to Allah alone and uh, we're very happy to have the chance to be here on Today Islam we're broadcasting almost live all the way from Astoria, New York here at the Masjid Aliman located in Astoria which is in Queens and what's the name of the street? Steinway? Isn't that a piano? You know, I used to sell pianos. Pianos, organs, guitars. I was in the music business before I came into Islam. Alhamdulillah. And now we have a better music that I like to listen to called the Quran. So I'm your host, Yusuf Estes, and today we're going to begin the fourth part in a series of explaining Islam to the non-Muslims after the events of 9-11. And this is an appropriate time considering it's about a year later since that happened. And certainly we've seen a lot of things change in that time. And one of the positive changes that we've seen is that more people have been talking about Islam. What is Islam and who are the Muslims? And so now we found in our first part that it's our obligation and duty to inform these people of what Islam really is. We also discovered in the second part how to begin the conversation with the people by bringing up the subject of the purpose of life, why you're here, why did Allah create you. And then in the third part we talked about bringing people to the level of what's called the Shahada. And just as we finished up, the person was at a level of the first of five points in what's called the Pillars of Islam. And we talked about what is the Shahada, and the Shahada is the bearing witness in public of La ilaha illallah, and this means that I bear witness there is none to worship except Allah alone, and He has no partners, and that Muhammad is His messenger, sallallahu peace be upon Him. So now today we're ready to continue with the other four points and explain why we needed to stop at that point, besides the fact that it ended our 30-minute session. <laughs> By the way, if you'd like replays of this, before we begin, I'll do a little commercial. You can go to our website at todayislam.com. That's T-O-D-A-Y-I-S-L-A-M dot com slash A as in Apple and B as in victory. Apple victory, whatever that means. Just go there. And you'll see our audios and videos, and it's free. So it's really not a commercial, is it? Commercial means something for money. So it's an infomercial. <laughs> In any case, we wanted to begin now with the fourth point. The fourth point is to begin to explain what's called a salat. And uh, I'd like to remind you the hadith that we were talking about that the Prophet ﷺ told us that Islam is built on five. And he compared it to the posts of a tent. And a tent, a small tent, has five posts. You have the center pole in the middle, which is the tall one. And that's the one we talked about, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. The other four posts are equally important because if they're not in place, you just have a center post and nothing. Likewise, 
If you put the side posts up but no center posts, you still can't use the tent. So you need all five posts. What is a salat? I'm going to ask, we have a, quite a nice gathering here tonight, and I'm going to ask somebody, tell me in English, what does the word salat mean? Can you tell me in English, what is salat? Prayer? Huh? No translation. How do you know that? Because I told you that. Oh, okay. I accept that. That's good Dalil, by the way. I accept that. If I said it, I must have meant it. There is no translation in the English language for Salat. Many, many people, even big scholars of Islam, will say prayer. Have you prayed your prayers today? Did you pray Asr? Did you pray Maghrib? We'll say, yeah, yeah. But you didn't pray it. You Salated it. Did you Salat? In Arabic, we ask you, did you Salat? We say, Salli, to do it. And then we'll ask you, did you do it? How do you say, did you do it? I'd like to ask, did you pray, Asr? So we use the word Salat. But the word prayer, if you translate it into the Arabic language, is actually dua. When you put your hands up and you say, Ya Allah, O God, O God, Rabbana, Rabbana, my Lord, my Lord, this is what you're really doing. That's the prayer. And that you can do anytime, any place, anywhere. There's no problem. Except the bathroom, okay. I don't think there's any reason to go to the bathroom and pray. But anyhow, so dua is prayer. So what is salat? And as the brother reminded me, there is no translation. So we have to explain it. It's the ritualistic form of worship indicative of Islam for the Muslims. Too big? Is that too big? Yeah, I think it is. Let's just tell the people this is something where you worship God like the prophets worshipped God. Is it okay? Can we say that? Yeah, because if we look in the Quran, we find Allah using the term bowing and prostrating. Rukur and sajda. Bowing and prostrating. If we look now to the other text of the Bible, we find what is left in English anyway. We find in the Old Testament expressions of prophets falling on their face and prostrating to God. Also, we find examples where they were bowing in rukua to God. Then if we look to the New Testament, or the Injil in Arabic, we find the same thing again, where Jesus himself, peace be upon him, is bowing in front of God, and he's stretching himself out on the pavement and putting his head down, and he's crying and, and praying to God. And so this is what Muslims are doing, exactly the same. So this is the prophet's form of worship. Okay? So when they ask you, what is this? Don't say it's our prayers. We pray a lot, all the time. When we get into the car, we say, Bismillah, Rabbana. When we get into the car, Oh Allah, Bismillah, Subhanallah, Sakhra lana hada, wa ma'akuna lahu mukneen. We say, 
the praises to you, Allah. And you gave us authority over this transportation, which we didn't have without you gave it to us. Musakhar. And so this, in each thing that we do, when we eat, we say, Bismillah, in the name of Allah. When we're finished, Alhamdulillah, Allah, Sakhana, wa ta'amana, wa sakhana, wa ja'alana muslimin. The, the praises to the one who gave us the food, gave us the drink, and he made us his Muslim. So you see, these are du'as, these are prayers that we do all the time. When we go to bed at night, when we get up in the morning, when we go someplace, when we come out of someplace, when we go in the masjid, when we come out of the masjid, these are prayers. But salat is the ritualistic form of worship that the prophets did. So that's better to tell them that. Especially because now you see they already made shahada. Keep this in mind. We're not talking about somebody off the street that's arguing with you about why you cut people's hands off. No, 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 no. This is somebody way beyond that. This is the initial stages of explaining the worship. And you tell them that this is a very big honor. And that when it came 1400 years ago, the companions to Muhammad wasallam, peace and blessings be upon him, they were so happy because they wanted this. They wanted to pray like the prophets. They wanted to do this because they knew this was such huge reward. You couldn't compare it to anything else. And it brings you close to Allah and takes you away from evil things. And the Prophet ﷺ, he used to say, a salat is the coolness of my eyes. And people that live in the desert know what it means to have cool eyes. Likewise, whenever you pray, it takes away evil, as the Prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, told us, that the Salat removes evil. It takes it away from you. So if people have some bad habits, maybe they drink, maybe they smoke, maybe they do X, Y, Z. We don't need to give you too many ideas. TV will do that. I don't have to do that. <laughs> but the Salat will replace that. If you find yourself going to the masjid, it's even better because when you go to the masjid, all these other things are outside. They stay away. So we describe the Salat in a nice way so that they appreciate the fact that now they can worship Allah the way he wants to be worshipped because Allah prescribed this we didn't make it up even the prophet peace and blessing be upon him didn't make up the salat he didn't make this up now how it comes is in something called al-maraj wa isra this is the journey that he made from Mecca all the way up to Jerusalem in one night and back. So when he made this journey, he was put on a rock, a large, huge, you know, big rock. This rock went up, up, up into the heavens. And when it reached a certain level, many things happened on the way up, but when it reached a certain level, by the way, Angel Jibril was with him. And he got really close up to Allah. So close to Allah that Jibril, the angel Gabriel, said, I can't go any further. I have to stop. You continue without me. Because even Jibril never been this close to Allah. 
So the Prophet, peace be upon him, became very close to Allah. And then came something that you know real well, but maybe you didn't know where it came from. Because the Prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, said, Atayatu lillahi wassalawatu atayubatu. All the praise and worship and prayers are only for Allah alone. All the worship, ibadah, is for Allah. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded back to him. As-salamu alaykum, ayyuan anabi. Peace be upon you, my prophet. Now what is that? As-salamu alaykum. Why he didn't say assalamu alaikum? When we greet, we always have to say assalamu alaikum. Even if he's one person, we say assalamu alaikum. Kum at the end of this means you all. Now I'm from Texas, so I understand saying you all. We say you all to everybody. You all come on over, you all stay as long as you can, and you all take your time of going, and you all hurry back. So you all in kum this is like the same thing. But in this case, it says you only by yourself. We as Muslims greet assalamu alaikum to one person because why? Because he has angels with him that we don't see. The angels who record his deeds, angels who do other things, angels of mercy. So we always say assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi barakatuh. And then he gives salam alaikum back. But in this case, assalamu alaikum, I do want to be a rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It says, the peace be only for you. Why? Because there's nobody else there. All the angels can't get this close to Allah. Not even Jibril. So that's why it says it like that. I found that so interesting when I heard it. I got like goosebumps thinking that I'm saying what Allah said to his prophet. And then Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, responded back with a beautiful dua, a prayer. He asked, As-salamu alayna ayu. What is the rest of it? As-salamu alayna. Ibarallahu as-salahim. It means what? What does it mean? Hmm? Peace be upon all those righteous people. Righteous servants, you like that? I like it. He likes it, I like it. Righteous servants of Allah. What's your name? Ihab, Sheikh Ihab. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> so, look at what happened. The Prophet, peace be upon him, he says something. Allah says something to him. Then he makes, the Prophet makes a dua for righteous salihin worshippers. Then what happens? I'm talking about in the Salat. When we pray, we say this. When we're moving our finger, we're saying this. Huh? And we say what? Now it's our turn to confirm two things. We confirm that Allah is Allah and Muhammad is his messenger to take the blessing and reward from the statements made by Allah and his messenger. We say, Ashadu Allah Ilaha illallah. 
I bear witness and open testimony that there is only Allah to worship and none other. And I bear witness and open testimony that Muhammad is his messenger and his servant. That's it. By the way, if you'd like to know from the books explaining about moving the finger, there's different opinions of how you move the finger. But it's interesting to know that the Prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, said in one of the narrations, to begin moving the finger and you look at it while you move it and you begin at the point of the dua. Meaning when it says, As-salamu alayna. And you begin reading this dua, you start moving the finger until the end. And then the Prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, told somebody who was praying one time, to move your finger when you make the dua and Allah knows best so this is why you'll find some people will move it once and some move it a lot and some just point it but it should point always toward the Kaaba not down to the ground because the Prophet peace be upon him used to point to the Kaaba so this is some small tip but now we want to come to a specific point when you are teaching people about Islam this kind of a point is not important because if you make it important and then he goes to some other Muslims and they say no no you have to just move your finger one time or somebody say no no you just have to point it and don't move it and somebody will say no no you have to make a circle like this what will happen you confuse the new Muslim and the worst thing you can do is confuse the new Muslim. There's some etiquette or adab that we need to know about. When, good way to do something. When we deal with Muslims that are brand new, we have to remember everything is strange to them. Everything. The language of Arabic is strange. The idea of having to do so many new things, it's strange. And sometimes they become intimidated. They become afraid. And they say, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I should give up. And shaitan comes to them and tries to get them to quit. You don't want to be responsible on the day of judgment for pushing people away from Islam. It's better, even if he makes mistakes, to leave him alone and go tell the imam and let the imam of the masjid help this person unless you're the one who's regularly working with him or her it's better for you to just tell them salam alaikum it's nice to see you in the masjid we'd love to have you if we can do anything we will help you that's better than going to them and saying oh your pants are too long your shirt is too short your beard is too short you're miswak you don't have a miswak you're not a muslim without a miswak what's this don't do that Allah will ask you about this. And by the way, while we're on the subject, don't do it to each other either. You will be surprised. I'm sorry, brothers. I love you for the sake of Allah. Too much. But you'll be surprised how much you really don't know about Islam. You will be surprised how much you don't know about Islam. It happened to me one time we gave a shahada meaning the introduction to Islam, bearing witness of the testimony of faith, to the chief of one of the Indian tribes 
in the south part of Texas and northern Mexico, the chief of the tribe. He was in his early 20s, and he was taking over the tribe and their custom 16,000 people have to follow the religion of their leader. And they've been Catholic for several hundred years. But by him coming to Islam, it means all these people, 16,000, could be saved from the Nar. Alhamdulillah, Allah let him make Shahada with me. I was so happy. And I took him with me. But before he said his Shahada, he said, I have one question for you. He said, in our tradition, all of these people will become Muslim, inshallah, because I became a Muslim. But also in our tradition, I cannot be the chief if I cut my hair. Is there anything in Islam that says I have to have short hair? Because if there is, I will cut it because I want to be a Muslim. But if there's not, I will leave it so these people can come to Islam. How many think he has to cut his hair if he's going to be a good Muslim? Raise your hand. Anybody? How many think it's no problem to have long hair in Islam? You're right. This is a well-educated masjid. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. you got good teachers. But I've been in some countries where they said, stuck for Allah. And it happened in that masjid. A few weeks later, this Indian chief has his head on the ground in sajda to Allah, tears coming down his face, crying and praying to Allah. In Sunnah Salat, Bada Salat al-Maghrib, after the Salat al-Maghrib, and another brother came from an Arab country. He just got there that day. They brought him over to meet me. I said, Salaam Alaikum. He said, Wa Alaikum Salaam. Ya Sheikh, you need to give Nasiha to this brother. His hair is too long. Because his hair was on the floor. I said, What? He said, You need to tell this one to cut his hair. It's too long. I said, Really? So, how should he cut it? Tell me so I'll give him the good advice. The Nisiha you're talking about. He said it should be like mine. And he's in the military. His hair is so short. You're not sure if, he's has, if he has hair huh, or spray paint. I said this is the sunnah of Muhammad because this is what we follow. We follow Muhammad yes or no? Yes or no? Okay. Did he have real short hair for the military? And the brother said, yes. I said, really? And the ones with him, suddenly they remembered. They were going, no, 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 it's wrong, it's wrong. I said, the sunnah, according to Ibn Hisham, of the Prophet wasallam, is to have the hair all the way to the shoulder. Like this. They said, oh. Then somebody tried to tell me, yeah, but that's in those days and more modern and blah. I said, now listen. Now you're really going out. Look what you're saying. You're saying you don't like the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu 
Now, there's a clear hadith of the Prophet ﷺ when somebody came and they were ready to pray. They were in the line and they were going to pray and they had very long hair and it was tied in a ponytail, a ponytail like a horse. And the Prophet ﷺ went to him and he said, untie your hair and let it make sajda with you. That is the hadith that I told to the Indian chief. That's why his hair was all over the floor, because he untied it and he let it make sajda just like the hadith. And somebody coming from a Muslim country told him he's wrong. Can you believe it? Alhamdulillah, I didn't let them say it to him. And when he was through praying, I went and reminded him, if anybody tells you anything about Islam that you're not sure of, ignore them until they bring proof from the Qur'an or from the verified hadith. And even then, go to the imam and check it out. Because maybe in the English translation, something is lost. So he said, okay. I use this as one of many, many examples of what happens when people enter Islam. Many times our brothers in Islam have grown up in Muslim countries, but they didn't pray, they didn't do anything, they just had fun. Then all of a sudden they would like to know Islam, they come in the masjid and they say, you know what, I, I need to pray. I, my grandfather prayed, you know that? My grandmother, she was very nice, she used to have dicker beads and everything. So I would like to be religious. I want to be close to Allah. Allah give me so much. I like to be religious. So I'll go to the masjid. I walk in the door. Haram. Your shirt is haram. It is? What is wrong with my shirt? Because you're advertising something. Uh, what? Videotapes. But they're blanks. <laughs> like you. <laughs> but you see, you see this? It's amazing. Your socks. What's the matter with my socks? Wrong color. Prophet Sassam didn't like red. You got red on. Huh? What are you talking about? Haram. What's haram now? Your pants are too long. My pants are too long? They're dragging on the ground so you're going to the fire. <gasps> How many of you heard this hadith? What drags on the ground or trails on the ground is in the fire. Is it a good hadith? Yes, it is. Good hadith. Does it mean if my pants touch the ground, I'm going to hell? Who said that? Who said that? Be careful. Be careful whenever you prescribe hell for somebody because the Prophet ﷺ told us if you say somebody's going to hell, for sure one of you is. Read the other hadith and the rest of the explanation from Muhammad ﷺ. He said, what trails on the ground, trails in the hell. Abu Bakr came to him and he said, you know what? I, I can't keep my pants up because I have, you know, they're so hungry with no food. His pants are falling and he's dragging, his dress is dragging on the ground. The Prophet said, not you. This is talking about people who do it out of kibber, out of pride out of pride. If your pants touch the ground in this mustard, you're not going to hell, okay? Unless you did it so that the people would notice you and you could put your neck up like, <laughs> see who I am? 
it's pride because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he doesn't like people who have this kibber because kibber comes from the same word as akbar and Allah is akbar and you're not and if a person has a dot a dot of pride they will not enter the paradise that's a hadith sahih good hadith so we're going to mention our website todayislam.com go to our website and know that it's open 24 hours a day and always plenty of free parking so we're back okay now the next thing we want to talk about is that when we're showing people Islam to take it slow and easy for 13 years the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam were taught Tawheed and Sabr Tawheed means monotheism the oneness of God how to understand Allah is one without partners not like his creation it's a big deal don't think it's not a big deal it's a big deal how we believe and a lot of Muslims don't have a good foundation in that today so this is important for us to spend time with Tawheed the second thing is Sabr what is Sabr? who will tell me? how many think it's patience? you say patience? wrong no, it couldn't be true that okay why I'm saying wrong? Because patience doesn't give enough to it. There's no word in English except patience to describe it. That's as close as you can get. You're right. But actually, this word sabr means to stay with something and hang on to it and don't give up and stay with it and stay with it and patience. But we don't have any word in English. Patience is as close as you can get. Very good. Exactly. But... So you see, again, English is weak. We didn't have a word for it. So we have to understand that this is why Allah tested them. And somebody complained to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, standing in front of the Kaaba in Mecca. He complained because the unbelievers were giving them a horrible time and beating them and doing things to them just because they want to worship Allah alone. He said, when will Allah's help come? And the Prophet ﷺ got mad at him. And he talked to him about patience and he told him, you know, the people before us who want to worship Allah this way, the people who came with this message, la ilaha illallah, look what happened to them. Some of them were boiled in oil. Some of them had their skin pulled off. Well, they were alive. Some of them had a saw put on their head and cut them in half until they weren't alive. These people suffered. And certainly many of the companions of Muhammad, peace be upon him, وسلم, they suffered too. And he suffered. And he told us that everybody who brought this message suffered, and I suffered more than any of them. So for sure we have to learn to take it easy and help our new brothers and sisters and don't discourage them. Now this part I'm going to address to the ladies. For the ladies here and for the ladies listening in the future, I want to mention this to you. More women come to Islam than men. We have a huge number of women. In some cases, four to one. In some cases, in some countries, ten women for every man who makes shahada. Alhamdulillah. 
Alhamdulillah. Allah guides these women, and that's because maybe, Allah alam, because women suffer so much. So Allah guides them because they ask for guidance. Maybe. But for sure, women, listen to me, our sisters in Islam. You have a responsibility. And I know many of you have made this mistake of discouraging new sisters. A new sister comes in the masjid for the first time. She doesn't know what to do. She's by herself. Maybe her husband is a Muslim. Maybe somebody in her family became Muslim and it's her first time to go to a mosque. She'd never been before. I heard this from my own wife. I heard this from other sisters. I heard it from many new shahadas. They said, I went to the mosque for the first time and they treated me horrible. I didn't know I'd, anything wrong. I walked in and they said, take your shoes off. I said, okay, what's the matter? You can't come in here. Are you a kafir? Oh my God. What's that? I don't even know what one is. Your hijab is wrong. My what? She doesn't even know the cause. She knows she's wearing a scarf. And somebody give her a hard time and tell her this is wrong and that's wrong. Or worse, they won't talk to her at all. They'll just talk in Arabic or Urdu or Bangladesh language and make her feel bad until she leaves. Because they feel jealous they don't like her. They want her to go back where she came from. How do we feel when people tell us that? Why don't you go back where you came from? Why are you doing this? You want her to go back to Kofar? Who are you working for? Stop and think how much effort we're putting in to help people come to Islam and then you say something like this. Sisters, please, fear Allah. Talk Allah. Because this is happening in every masjid that I've visited. You have to realize these sisters need help. And if you don't help them, Allah is going to ask you about it. So be careful. Be careful. Try your best to be patient. Help them. And pray for them. If they make mistakes, do all for them. Remember, you didn't always know everything either. And this now is good advice to all of us to remember that we all have room to learn. So in tomorrow, inshallah, in our next session, the last session, we'll finish up by explaining after the person comes into Islam what's next, how to help them stay in Islam, and more important, how to use them to bring others to Islam. This is your host, Yusuf Estes, reminding you that until next time, Say your prayers on time. Do the salat. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.